let's uh, touch on what you just heard over the uh, 4 o'clock newscast. Uh, It's in regards to the 37-year-old Vancouver woman who was charged with mischief after she appeared topless uh, at the Juno Awards on Monday night uh, in Edmonton. Casey Hatherley, um, who goes by a nickname Ever, uh, was held in custody and appeared in court today in Edmonton. Her next court date is April 5th. Uh, She um, had slogans scrawled on her torso and back in opposition to the Ontario government's uh, plan to build housing um, on farmland. I guess she, when she got on stage, she interrupted Avril Lavigne. Uh, The singer, of course, uh, uh, shouted profanity and demanded that she leave the stage. Um, Ms. Hatherley uh, has gained attention in, in the past as well beyond this stunt. Uh, she scaled an Art Deco uh, Tourism Victoria Visitor Centre uh, last August, as I said, and last June, uh, she and a male Save Old Growth protester walked down level two over at BC Place during a a, a soccer game uh, uh, that Ca- Team Canada was involved in and proceeded to attach herself uh, to uh, to a goalpost with zap straps. Um, there were about 14,000 people in attendance who booed her. Uh, but obviously she believes her cause is greater than that. Uh, she, of course, uh, has been talking, in this case it was about development, but in the past she's also talked about old gold forests. Uh, she was asked to sort of talk about what transpired uh, at that um, uh, the Juno Awards on Monday night. Take a listen to what she had to say today. To be honest, in my heart of hearts, I really was hoping that Avril would, you know, be punk rock and anti-establishment, maybe hand me the mic and let me say my thing. Um, I'm totally not upset about anything that went down, though. Now, listening to uh, Ms. Hatherley, she makes it sound like it's a, a walk in the park. Now, I understand civil disobedience and speaking up for what you believe in. But in the case of what uh, Ms. Hatherley did last June in regards to protesting at BC Place, disrupting a, a soccer game where our national team was playing, uh, is absurd. But l- let's just hang on just for a second. That she is, uh, She's commented and talked about our forest industry in the past, about saving old growth forests. What isn't ever mentioned is our forest industry is on its knees right now. Many sawmills in the last five years have shut down. Uh, This region is viewed in many cases by forest companies as not a place you can do business anymore. Forest companies are investing further in uh, in Alberta or parts of Europe or the United States, not here in B.C. And as these protesters who continue to talk about old growth, we have many, many parks in this province, many provincial parks. But the First Nations communities who also want to harvest um, uh, trees – uh, and they wish to uh, do so with uh, very stringent, uh, in with a very stringent environmental model. And so, for these professional protesters to come in every single time, uh, to come in and protest and say this shouldn't be built or that shouldn't be built, even though these companies and in cases First Nation communities have had full approval from government, have met the environmental standards that government has set, and they still aren't able to do business. Now, yesterday we heard of um, Cedar LNG moving forward. That is the $3 billion LNG project. Uh, in Kitimat, we had Ellis Ross, the former chief counselor of the Heisler First Nation in Kitimat, and he is now, of course, the BC Liberal MLA for the Skeena region in that area. Uh, even he has talked about the challenges of doing business in this province. Even though a pipeline has been approved, there continues to be protests driving up costs. 
And even now, it's not just protesters. It's significant regulations. Uh, Mr. Ross was uh, on this show yesterday. Take a listen to what he had to say in regards to just because they got approval yesterday doesn't mean uh, it's free and open for, for them to move forward when it comes to getting this project up and running. In fact, as chief councillor, I was like three years in my term, I was considering resigning. But what kept me going was the fact that, look, this is going to make BC stronger. It's going to uplift an entire generation of First Nations out of poverty, which you already proved before that. But the only missing piece for me was I didn't understand the amount of politics around LNG until I got to Victoria. And now understanding that LNG has been a political football, I mean, we're just rehashing media releases from 2018, basically, in terms of the climate action plan. Mm-hmm. But uh, finally, I hope that the politics are lining up with reality now in terms of oil and gas. So Mr. Uh, um, Ross brought up the issue of regulations and the challenges there. And of course, there are protests on the coast, coastal gas sink line and significant protests and, and vandalism. Over a million dollars in damage. When, and they still haven't solved that case. Now, yesterday, we also had Richard Masson on the show, an executive fellow at the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy. We talked about the Trans Mountain Pipeline, that pipeline will be moving significantly more oil from the oil sands from Alberta to the West Coast. Once again, they followed the rules. They got approval from government, federal and provincial. And all First Nations, much like the natural gas line, the coastal gas link line in the north, all of them have approval from First Nations communities who have bought on and will receive financial compensation, whether it's natural gas or oil. Yet there still continues to be protest. How much protest? Well, our government, meaning us as taxpayers, have had to buy that pipeline. That original budget for that pipeline was $5.4 billion. And a private sector company that is has the expertise to build pipelines said we can't do it. So, the, so we, as taxpayers and our government, had to buy it because it is of strategic and national importance. Well, we just recently learned the cost of that pipeline is now $30 billion. Now, don't get me wrong. COVID's had an impact with that. Supply chains have had an impact with that. There have been other challenges. The weather, uh, floods, all of that has an impact on the cost of that pipeline. But the constant noise and protest has also impacted that as well. Here's Mr. Masson from yesterday. He's from the University of Calgary School of Public Policy, as I said, talking about the skyrocketing, skyrocketing costs of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which is now 80% complete. And remember, as he's speaking... The original cost was $5.4 billion, and now it's $30 billion. Well, it's a shocking number. You know, this pipeline originally uh, estimates were $5 billion. So this is about six times the early estimates. And the latest increase from just a year ago is $10 billion. So it, it just says that everything that probably could have slowed and delayed the pipeline has gone that way. There's been so many challenges with weather, the floods, fires, led to lower labor productivity. There's been more indigenous artifacts um, collected and, you know, just one thing after another that's added to the cost of this, this pipeline and it makes it so expensive compared to what we thought it was going to be in the beginning. And as I said, there are other challenges there, as uh, Mr. Masson has uh, articulated very well. But remember, a private sector company, after many years of going through all the hoops they had to go through, got approval from the government. And then they had to sell it off to government because it didn't make any financial sense because to the extensive amount of opposition and regulations that they had to go through. Now, I say all this because this province has built slowly a reputation of not getting things done, that it is difficult to get projects past the finish line. 
for a large-scale LNG project like LNG Canada, $36 billion project, largest private sector investment in the history of this country. It takes five years to get that project to the point it will get approval, potentially from government. You need a billion dollars to be spent, spent before you get to a point where government will consider it, yes or no. So that's all the environmental issues that have to be dealt with, uh, all the consultation with First Nations, non-First Nations community, significant amount of negotiations with private sector companies and customers and future customers as well. And once you've spent a billion dollars, then you might get a yes or no. And even now, that uh, even though they have approval, that coastal gas link has been vandalized extensively. We still haven't caught the people who did it. And there's still opposition, even though we're supposed to be a country of laws. You follow the process. If you get approved, so be it. If you don't, so be it. But if you've been approved, you should be able to do your business in this country and in this province. That doesn't seem to be the case. Many years ago, when I worked for the LNG industry, I was in Mumbai at a very um, uh, large company there that has been around for well over 150 years. And I was just uh, walking them through the LNG industry in this province in its early stages before any, any of the projects had been approved. And a senior executive there stopped me in the middle of my, um, my presentation and he said, Mr. Joe Hall, thank you. I just want to ask one question. Why can't you guys, you guys, get anything past the finish line in your province and your country? We were asked in 2013 if we wish to invest. In this case, the project would have been about a billion dollars investment. I was there about 2016. And here we are, he says, uh, you know, five years later. And uh, nothing's occurred, yet we're getting many, many investors coming to us from the United States and other parts of the world want us to invest in their LNG projects. We thought we would invest in your province and your country, and you folks cannot get things past the finish line, even though we are following the rules that you have created. And so when I see these protesters, whether it be old growth protesters, whether it be LNG, whether it be oil, we have fundamentally scared off investors in our country. Now, I know we have a decent reputation in this world. I hope we do still. But we've got a lot of work to do in regards to attracting that investment and telling those folks, yes, you can get things done. We are a country of laws. You may remember those protesters at Lionsgate Bridge last year. You know, they should get jail time. Yes, there's uh, civil disobedience. But when you're inconveniencing people, working people, there's something fundamentally wrong. And we have created a culture here that said if you protest, not only will you not get arrested, but you'll never get charged. There'll be no accountability. And that is a culture we have built, and that is a challenge we have before us in this great province, in this country today.